0: Okay, we well are starting in, in uh Matthew and last week I read to you um the different the different laws, Jewish laws that were broken during the trials that that, that Jesus went through. There were three Jewish trials and three Roman trials and and uh uh you can you can go back you know, if you want to, and, and listen, because I, I put all the messages on the internet, the, the 25 or so rules that, that I had outlined, but there were more procedural rules than that that were also violated. Uh, some lawyers have gone through this, and they just they just picked out bunches of, of, of laws, Jewish laws that were violated. But I cited some of the highlights. But let's pick it up in, in Matthew chapter... 26 verse 65 then the high priest tore his robes and said he is blasphemed what further need do we have with witnesses behold you have now heard the blasphemy what do you think they answered he deserves death then they spat in his face and beat him with their fists and others slapped him and said prophesy to us you Christ who is the one who hit you so you see that in verse 65, the priest tore his robe, which was another violation of the law. There could be no expression from anyone on the council. And in tearing of the robes, it was a violation, and specifically a violation of the law that they had had. It says that he had blasphemed. He didn't blaspheme because, as we had read last week, in order to blaspheme, one had to mention the name of Yahweh, precisely mention his name in the blasphemy, which Jesus never did here. And then he says, what further need have we of witnesses? Remember, there were no witnesses. All witnesses had been disqualified because their testimony never overlapped. Their testimony was never concerted. But you've heard now the blasphemy. So the charge went from desecration, planning to desecrate the temple, now to blasphemy. So now the charge has changed. Remember, the council was not allowed to put forth charges. The charges could only come by one bringing the charges and then the council would then evaluate those charges. And then he says, what do you think? And says they answered, he deserves death. Remember, that was another violation of the law. You could never make a proclamation like this from the time something was heard uh, of being guilty to the time the verdict was passed. Death, there had to be a 24 hour period. So there had to be a 24 hour period. Moreover, Remember, it says that the law said that they had to take account from the oldest one, from the youngest one to the oldest one, to say, what do you think? What do you think? And then the youngest one would say, I think he deserves death. Then the second to youngest one would say, I think he deserves death, and you go on. You could never have it openly. So just violation after violation is taking place here. You will come to a time in your life where you feel that that your rights are being violated because of your Christian testimony. I want you to think back to Jesus, what this man went through. And then it says, they spat in his face. Remember, spitting in the face was 400 days wages, violation of the law. 400 days wages could be exacted. Then some beat him with their fists. That was four days wages. And others slapped him. That was 200 days wages. So all these people are committing on, on this counselor committing violations of the law against Jesus, against this man who had never done anything wrong. And then they start to desecrate the things that Jesus did. Jesus prophesied, he had many prophecies. And they say, prophesy to us, you Christ, who is the one who hit you. So you see that, that they're turning this whole thing of the beauty of what Jesus did and turning it around. This will happen to you someday. Remember, I told you this day, this will happen to you someday where the beautiful things that you have tried to do because of your Christian faith will be belittled, will be mocked, will be made fun of just because of your testimony of Jesus. And remember, you are not alone. And if you want to cry out and you say, God, where were you? Where were you when they were saying these things? God could well reply. I'm in the same place that I was when they did this to my own son. I've not moved. I'm in the same place. This was the second trial of Jesus. So, uh, uh, and and the numerous laws that, that, that had been violated. The third trial, the third trial of Jesus takes place at dawn. So the first trial was before Annas, the second trial before Caiaphas. Both of those trials were held in the evening. That was not allowed. Neither of those trials was held in the place where it had to be held, meaning in the great hall. So both of those trials were, were violations. The third trial was held at dawn. But still, remember, one of the laws was you could not hold trial before the morning sacrifice, which occurred at 9 a.m. This was occurring at dawn. This was occurring before the morning sacrifice. But for some semblance of, of legitimacy, they held another trial at dawn in the great hall. This was before the Sanhedrin in the hall of judgment. And, and uh, this is mentioned in, in Mark chapter 15, verse 1. There's one mention of it in Mark. It says, Early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders and the scribes and the whole council immediately held a consultation. And binding Jesus, they led him away and delivered him to Pilate. <clears throat> so there's one reference to this in, in Mark chapter 15, verse 1. There's more references to it in Luke chapter 22. In Luke chapter 22, reading from verse 67, it says, It um, In in, in verse 66, it says, When it was day, and so we know it was early in the morning, some translations say at dawn, the council of the elders of the people assembled, both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away to their council chamber, saying, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe. So we're reading in Luke chapter chapter, uh, 22, verse 67. Verse 68 now. And if I ask a question, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. And they all said, Are you the Son of God then? And he said, Yes, I am. And they said, What further need do we have of testimony? For we have heard it ourselves from his own mouth. So this is the third trial before the Jews, this time before the entire council. This is the only one that's taken place so far in the daytime, but again, violation of Jewish law. It has taken place before the morning sacrifice. The other thing that's occurring is the trial is taking place on a feast day. This is the preparation day for the Passover. This is the Passover that's going on now. Jesus had taken the Passover Thursday evening, which is where the masses of people take the Passover. On Friday, Friday afternoon, the priests take the Passover, Feast on Friday afternoon. And so you see this is again on a feast day. This trial is a violation on that basis as well. And then from here, it says that they they take him to Pilate. So they're about to undergo the fourth trial. This was the third trial, the third Jewish trial. Now they take him before Pilate. And in, in Mark, which I read to you, Mark chapter 15, verse 1, it had said, and they led him and delivered him to Pilate. So they took him from the council chamber now to Pilate for his first Roman trial. Who was Pilate? Well, Pilate was appointed by Tiberius Caesar to be the governor or the, uh, um, uh, the, the, the governor of, of uh, Judea. And he had had no prior training in politics. He had actually been appointed by Tiberius because he had married Tiberius's illegitimate stepdaughter, and he was recommended by a man named Sejanus. Sejanus was um, was the chief of the Praetorian Guard in Rome, so it was like the chief of the secret service. He knew Tiberius. He had recommended. Uh, uh, Pilate. Pilate. Pilate was actually had no experience, but he was a good friend of Sejanus. So that's how he got appointed to this position. Pilate had had several run-ins with, with uh, the authorities in, in uh, w- with the Jews in Israel prior to this time. There were several run-ins that he had had. One of them I'll mention because it's apropos to what we're about to read. One of them was he had put within the outer court of the temple, he had uh, put up several placards that showed the gods of the Romans. And the Jews were extremely offended by this. And it, there was this outrage that occurred. And and it was causing a lot of violence to take place. And so the, the Jews were not a passive people. To this day, they're not. The Jews were not a passive people when they had their nation invaded. And Pilate wouldn't take them down. And, and so what happened was Herod Antipas, who was the governor over over uh, another region not far from there, we're about to read a trial before Herod, Herod Antipas made asked uh, uh, Pilate to take those down. Those were causing a lot of trouble and, and Pilate refused. And then Herod Antipas uh, petitioned uh, Tiberius Caesar and the Roman Senate commanded Pilate to take those down and stop this trouble. And so he took them down. And from that day, there was a rift between Herod and Pilate, because Pilate felt that Herod didn't respect his authority over this territory. And so we're going to read about that rift in just a minute. And Herod and Pilate was especially bloody. In fact, in Luke chapter 13, verse 1, it talks about that Pilate had mixed the blood of the Jews with his offerings. So Pilate would make offerings to his gods. And he'd kill some Jews and mix their blood with it. And so he was a particularly violent man, a particularly bloody man. And so this shows you the character of the man that Jesus is now appearing before. He had no hesitation in killing people. He would do it. So um, there are several portions. It, it mentions this, this first Roman trial in Matthew, Mark, in Luke, and in John but for time's sake we're gonna just read the, the Luke and the John portion. So if you look in Luke chapter twenty three, verse one. Luke chapter twenty three verse one. <clears throat> they brought the, then they brought the whole body of them, <clears throat> then the whole body of them got up and brought him before Pilate. And he began to accuse and, and they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, and saying that he himself is Christ the King. So Pilate asks, Are you a king of the Jews? And he answered and said, It is as you say. Then Pilate said to the chief priests in the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they kept on insisting, saying he stirs up the people, teaching all over Judea, starting from Galilee, even as far as this place. Okay, so they brought... They brought Jesus to Pilate. Look at their accusations. Remember, they had first accused him of, of planning to desecrate their temple. And that was a capital offense. But that year, that year they had lost the right to kill people in their courts, to have executions. So they had to appeal to the Romans for this. And, and uh, uh, it says that this was the charge. We found this man misleading our nation. And forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar. Well, they may have judged him as misleading their nation, but that was never the charge. Remember, the charge that they had finally got against him was blasphemy, which was an illegitimate charge because the, 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 the council itself had brought forward that charge. The original charge they could find no witnesses on. So now they say that he was misleading their nation. Then they say he forbidden to pay taxes to Caesar. He taught forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar. We know that that's not true because Jesus said, specifically, render to Caesar that which is Caesar's. And saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And now this this, uh, portion in Luke doesn't give it justice in the expansion of what John does. So if you turn to John chapter 18, and in John chapter 18, this is actually picked up upon John chapter 18 verse 28 you can read about this trial in further detail John chapter 18 verse 28 Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the praetorium and it was early and they themselves did not enter into the praetorium so that they would not be defiled but might eat the passover So you say you might say well I thought they ate the passover on Thursday night the people did the priests always eat the passover On Friday afternoon. And they didn't want to defile themselves because if they went into the house of a Gentile, they would be defiled and they couldn't eat the feast. And you know what it would be like for the priest to come home and tell his wife, I can't eat what you've been, you know, been cooking for the last couple of days. Because I went into the house of a Gentile. I mean, the priests will take on Jesus, but they won't take on their wife. So this is this is exactly what was happening. They didn't want to defile themselves because they wanted to be able to eat. So they didn't go into the praetorium. They stayed in the outer court. They didn't want to go into, into Pilate's residence. Now, why would Pilate be ready at this hour in the morning? So this is quite early in the morning. This is about seven in the morning. So why would he be ready? Well, remember that night before he had already released the Roman cohort. He had been expecting a trial. So he was dressed and ready for this trial. Verse 29 of of John chapter 18. Then Pilate went out and said to them, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If this man were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. So Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your own law. The Jews said to him, We are not permitted to put anyone to death. To fulfill the words of Jesus, which he spoke, signifying by what kind of death? He was about to die. So you see that they, they bring Jesus before Pilate. He says, what's the accusation? And they say, the first thing they say to him, look, if he, if he wasn't an evildoer, we wouldn't have brought him to you. And you know what Pilate does? Pilate is following normal Roman protocol. No accusations, no trial. No trial, no charges. Take him away. I have nothing to do with him. And so he, he says, no, you can't just do this. You want me to try him? Bring forth an accusation. And then it says, it says that uh, um, the Jews said to him, we're not permitted to put anyone to death, to fulfill the words of Jesus, which he had spoken, signifying by what kind of death he was about to die. What on earth does that mean? Well, that year, just six months earlier, they had lost the right to put people to death. The Romans had taken that away from the Jewish Sanhedrin. They said in capital offenses, the guilty party is going to have to appear before the Roman governor and deemed worthy of death before you Jews can exact punishment. Now, this is the hand of God because Jesus had prophesied on numerous occasions that he would die, he would be crucified. The Jews never crucified anyone. The Jews committed, the the Jews would carry out capital punishment by stoning. So they would go and they would throw stones. And interestingly enough, the first person to throw the stone had to be the accusers. The accusers had to throw the first stone. So those who brought the offense had to be the ones to cast the first stone. And the law was very specific. They had to cast the first stone. And the Jewish writings say this they say that if a person is lying, And then so having cast the first stone, they're guilty not only of lying, but of murder. And it goes on to say, not only murder of this man, but of all the people that would have been born from his line. Whoever he was to be the progenitor of, let them be guilty of the death of all those people. So it was a greatly feared thing to be a false witness, because this is what Jews were taught that you're committing murder because you casted the, you cast the first stone? Not just of this man, which you may not like, but of all his, his offspring that would have been born through him. So they had lost this right. Had the Roman Senate not removed the right from Israel to commit Uh, to carry out capital punishment, Jesus would have been summarily stoned. He would have been rendered a false prophet because Jesus had prophesied that he would die by crucifixion. So you see what God does. God moves the Roman, Roman Senate to change the laws for the Jewish Sanhedrin that you can't carry out capital punishment. It must go through Rome, signifying by what death Jesus would die. God moves nations when he wants to. And we worry that God can't move people's hearts. God can move an entire Senate if he wants to, to make sure that his ways and his plans are carried out. Then it says in verse 33 of John chapter 18, Therefore Pilate entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Are you saying this on your own initiative, or did others tell you about me? Pilate answered, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and your priest delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews, But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore, Pilate said to him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And he said, And as he said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in him. Look at what Pilate's proclamation is. I find no guilt in him. You have brought him before me. You have accused him of a crime worthy of death. And I find no guilt in him. And remember the accusations they brought. They said he stirs up our nation. He forbids to pay taxes. There were no witnesses of any of these things. He proclaims himself to be king. Well, that's, that's worthy of death. That is a crime worthy of death, because if anyone is a competition to Caesar's kingship, that is worthy of death. And here, he deems him not, uh, as being not guilty. Why is this? Well, so you can imagine what took place here. He stirs up our nation, and Pilate, take him yourself. Stirring up your nation is no account to me. I don't care what he does with your nation. Then he said they say, Well, he forbids to pay taxes to Caesar. Okay, bring me some witnesses that heard him say that. Well, they couldn't do that. They couldn't produce the witnesses. So he said, Well, he proclaims himself to be king. Well then Pilate has to hear this charge. Proclaims himself to be king. So Pilate begins to question him. Pilate says, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered Are you saying this on your your own initiative, or did others tell you about me? So what's Jesus saying here? Jesus is is saying, are you saying this as a Jew or as a Gentile? Because as, as a Jew, yes, I am a king. I am king of the Jews. This is what Jesus told Caiaphas. This is what Jesus told the Sanhedrin, yes. I mean, Jesus didn't sit there and change the story. But if you're saying, am I a king from a Gentile perspective, my kingdom is not of this world. I have nothing to do with this world. Had the Jews received me, had I not proclaimed upon them the unpardonable sin in Matthew chapter 12, I would have established my kingdom at this time. But now we're living, actually we're living still now in what the Bible calls the mystery age. You can go back and listen on the internet where I taught in in Matthew chapter 12. I was very specific on that. But here Jesus is saying, Are you asking as a Jew or as a Gentile? Once I understand the perspective that you're asking me, then I'll answer your question. And Pilate said, Pilate knew exactly what he was talking about, and Pilate responds in verse 35, I'm not a Jew, am I? So in other words, I'm not asking you as a Jew. Not a Jew. I'm asking you as a Gentile. Are you a king or aren't you? And that's when, Je- once Jesus figures out what perspective the guy's asking from, then Jesus answers his question. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. It's not of this realm. And Pilate says, so you are a king? And Jesus said, correct, you've said correctly, I'm a king of the truth. As far as to you, I'm a king of the truth. And then Pilate, with this sarcastic remark, says, what is truth? And then he goes out and he says, I find no guilt in this man. He found no guilt in this man because he realizes that this man is no competition to Caesar. There's no competition here for the throne of Caesar. This man even says, my kingdom is not of this world. I mean, this is some religious fanatic. Rome had a bunch of religious fanatics, too. It's not a crime worthy of death. He says, There's no guilt here. This is what he's proclaimed. This was the fourth trial. The first of three Roman trials. Three Jewish trials. This was the, 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 the next trial. Pilate comes out and he, he says, I find no guilt in this man. And <clears throat> turn back to Luke. If you look back in, in Luke chapter 23. You know, the Jews are becoming pretty violent. And, and Pilate, remember, had had several run-ins with the Jews. There was another instance when, when Pilate first came to Jerusalem And this is written about by uh, uh, Josephus, which was a a Jew hired by the Romans to write historical accounts. And he writes about this, that when Pilate first came in, he put up standards which bore this inscription of Caesar and and Jewish gods, which infuriated the the Jewish men. And they had gone to Caesarea, which was the capital, and petitioned uh, 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 Pilate to take them down. He said, I won't. And so they actually laid down on the ground for five days around his palace without moving. This is what these Jewish men did, and and Josephus reports this. Pilate surrounded them with guards then three rows deep, and the Jews were surprised and had them pull their swords. And it says that the Jewish men then stretched out their necks and said that they were willing to die. And Pilate was so moved by this, he had those, those, those... standards taken down, those plaques taken down. Pilate had had several run-ins with the Jews, and it was only trouble for him. They were not an easy people to come in and rule. They were not a a submissive sort of people. And so they persist and they push him on this issue. He says, I find no guilt. But now if you see in, in, in Luke chapter 23, verse it says but they kept on insisting saying he stirs up the people teaching all over Judea starting from Galilee even as far as this place when Pilate heard it he asked whether the man was a Galilean and when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction he sent him to Herod who himself was in Jerusalem at this time so Herod wasn't normally in Jerusalem neither was Pilate Pilate's Pilate was normally in Caesarea, but he had come down to bring order during the feast, as had Herod been sent to Jerusalem during the feast of the Passover to keep order. And so he says, this is an easy way out of this. I'll just send him to Herod. I don't have to deal with this guy. I don't have to deal with these crazy Jews. Just send him to Herod. The guy's a Galilean. Herod was king of the area of Galilee. Uh, uh, Pilate was governor of Judea. So he says, if he's Galilean, I'll I'll recognize Herod's authority, and he's just passing his problem on. I mean, I do this all the time. I mean, people come to me, students come to me with these concerns and everything, and I'm thinking, this is not my problem, and I send them to the dean. You know, I send them to the chair of the department, and I just <clears throat> turn around and get back and start typing on my computer, and surfing the net, and do what I do. You know, you just pass on the problems to someone else, and this is what Pilate was doing, so he sends them to Herod. Now, who was Herod? This was... And now you're about to hear about the fifth trial. This is the second Roman trial. He comes before Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas was the Herod who had had John beheaded. You may remember we had read about that. So that John, remember, was beheaded by Herod Antipas. John was first imprisoned by Herod Antipas for telling Herod that it was wrong of him to be living with Herodias, who was his brother Philip's wife. He was saying, this is wrong. So here you have this prophet, John, telling Herod Antipas, this is wrong of you to be living with your brother's wife. And Herodias, his brother's wife, didn't like to hear this at all. So she had her husband in prison, John the Baptist, over this. Now, Jesus, Jesus never told Herod Antipas, you know it's wrong of you to be living with your brother's wife. He never told her that, but John the Baptist told him, uh, told him that. John the Baptist said it, but Jesus never did. Why didn't Jesus take up this this same banner and start coming against Herod? In fact, Herod had once sent for Jesus, and you know what Jesus said? Go tell that fox. And he, you know he refers to him as a fox, and this is in in Luke chapter thirteen. Verse 32, he refers to him as a fox, and he's not going to go and visit Herod. Just because Herod had called him, he didn't go visit him. He didn't go visit everybody who who wanted to see him. Um, You know, you you don't just, you go according to what the Father calls. I mean, sometimes people call me, I mean, a guy showed up in this class a few weeks ago, and he says, I want you to come and speak to a group of people at such and such a place, because uh, I think you're a gifted teacher, and you need to speak to them. I said, no, I'm not coming. I don't come to everybody who just says, come and speak. Said, if you, you, you know, my messages are on the Internet. Bring a computer right there, hit the button, and let everybody listen if that's what you want. No, I'm not coming. You can't go to everybody who asks of you. And Herod asked of Jesus. Why didn't Jesus take up this banner of doing this? Because Jesus had a different ministry. John's ministry was going and pointing out to Herod that he was sinning. That was not Jesus' ministry. Some students get upset that I don't carry their banner. I am very pro-life, very pro-life. I believe that that life starts in the womb, on the day of conception, the moment of conception. But some students say, well, why don't you go march with us in Washington? Well, there's only so much I can do. I mean, as it is, my wife says, I'm I'm doing far too much. Then another student comes back and, and says that I need to start talking about global warming. Yeah, and that's not a bad cause. But that's somebody else's banner to carry and not mine. I'm all for, you know, mitigating global warming. What one little person can do, you know, to do it. But, um, you know, this is not my banner to carry and and, and so encourage other students to go and, and, and carry this banner of cause. God has a different thing for each one of us. And what happens is sometimes we get frustrated that the other person's not carrying on our cause, and you're like, if he was a true Christian, he'd see how important that is, and he'd do it. Well, you know, we have different banners to carry. Do you know what I mean? You know, and God puts within us something, and and I have this banner to work with college students. You know, some people could care less, couldn't care less about college students. They're all a bunch of stinking sinners anyway. Let them go to hell. They're busy, you know, ministering to old people. You know, they don't say let them go to hell, but they just essentially do that because they have nothing to do with it. But I understand. They're busy ministering to shut-ins. Or they're busy, busy ministering to poor children. They're not busy ministering to the children of rich people who go to college. But this is my ministry. So I understand why everybody doesn't do college ministry. This is the banner that God has for me. He's going to have a banner for you to carry. So don't get all upset when other people don't carry the banner with you. If this is what God has you to do, then carry that banner. And 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 uh, uh, let God worry about the other people. That's what Jesus told, told Peter when he kept pointing to John. He, uh, he told Peter, don't worry about it. John, I'll take care of him. He says, do you love me? So this is the, the Herod we're talking about. He, and so what had happened, just so that you remember, Her, uh, Herodias' daughter, so this is Herod's wife, Herodias' daughter dances before Herod. And Herod is so drunk and so pleased and has all these dinner guests. He says, I'll give you anything you want, up to half of my kingdom. I mean, you're going to give half of what you have away? To a girl who dances for you, you must be awfully drunk. And then, you know, all the dinner guests hear this and she goes back to her mother. She says, Herodias, well, mom, what should I ask for? Herodias says, ask for the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Remember, she didn't like John the Baptist saying it's wrong for this woman to be living with you. She liked very much living with Herod Antipas. So Herod, because of his promise, it says, and because of his dinner guests, went and had John beheaded in prison, and they brought John's head on a platter to the girl, and she presented it to her mother. This is the Herod we're dealing with. Nice guy. And you say, you know, I can't believe that a guy would make a comment like that. I know a man, a very educated man, who went into a discotheque and saw a woman dancing. He was so drunk, he took her out, he slept with her, and he married her. And essentially gave away half of what he had to her. And, it was, and two weeks later, he was filing for divorce. But she had a piece of his kingdom. Because they, that was his wife. So you think men don't do it today? They, the same sort of thing happens today. You see, crazy men make all sorts of things, all sorts of comments. So, this is the Herod we're dealing with. This is not King Herod. King Herod was his father. King Herod was the one who built the temple. King Herod was the one who said he was a Jew. But then he went and he tried to have Jesus when he was baby killed. Remember, he proclaimed, you know, he had all the male children under two years of age killed. That was King Herod. King Herod had died. This is King Herod's son, Herod Antipas, who did not have the title of king. Well, he appears before Antipas. And in Luke chapter 23, verse, verse uh, 8, we can pick up what happened at that trial. This is the fifth trial, and this is happening about 9 a.m. on Friday morning. Now, Herod was very glad when he saw Jesus, for he wanted to see him for a long time, because he had been hearing about him and was hoping to see, him, see some sign performed by him. And he questioned him at some length, but he answered him nothing. And the chief priests and the scribes were standing there, accusing him vehemently. And Herod and his soldiers, after treating him with contempt and mocking him, dressed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him back to Pilate. Now Herod and Pilate became friends with one another that very day, before they had, that very day for before they had been enemies with each other. Remember I told you why they were enemies? Because of that event where... Herod had sent a message to Rome to tell Pilate to take those, those placards down. They became friends this day because now Pilate, Herod saw Pilate as recognizing his authority and Herod recognizing Pilate's authority sending him back. They became friends that day at Jesus' expense. If you think Herod got away with this, he did not. Actually, this Herod Antipas Nine years later, at the prompting of his wife, Herodias, and this is again uh, uh, recorded not in the scriptures, but in the history of this day and, and uh, also in Roman history, that Herodias, his wife, wanted very much to be called queen, but she couldn't be called queen unless Herod Antipas was called King Herod, like his father was. So she prompted him to go and petition in Rome so that he could have the title king like his father did. Not king of, uh, uh, of, of the whole Roman Empire, but king of just uh, the Galilee area. The Caesar at that time, at, the, at nine years later, the Caesar at the time that this is going on is Caesar Tiberius, but the, the time that, that, that uh, Herod Antipas makes the petition is Caligula. Now Caligula was an absolute madman. Caligula made the streets of Rome flow in blood, the writings say. And it says that when he ran out of money, he would go and he would kill some rich landowner, have him killed, and then take his land and take his money. You say, well, why did he run out of money? Because he spent it all. He was a madman. He even made his horse a member of the Roman Senate. And his horse would always vote in the direction that he wanted. The man. So Herod Antipas comes to him and asks for the title of king, and Caligula banishes he and his wife to uh, um, to Lyon, and and deals with him in that way, and they died actually in abject poverty. So uh, uh, this was really silly to have gone and, and petitioned Caligula for this. But in any case, we see that Herod just mocks him. Herod wanted to see some signs by Jesus. And and, uh, no signs were going to be coming forth. Nothing was going to be coming forth. Jesus didn't do signs for show. Signs and miracles were not for performance. And Jesus said nothing. And he was being accused vehemently. And he said nothing to Herod. Because he had already been proclaimed innocent by Pilate. He said nothing to Herod. Now look in verse 13 of Luke chapter 23. Pilate summoned the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, You brought this man to me. As one who incites the people to rebellion. And behold, having examined him before you, I have found no guilt in this man regarding the charges which you make against him. No, nor has Herod, for he sent him back to us. And behold, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. So this is the second proclamation by Pilate. I I questioned him, I found no guilt, I sent him to Herod, Herod sent him back, saying, he found no guilt in this man. He's no threat to Rome. So again, the proclamation, he is not guilty. I mean, any one of us would have been aggrieved at this this egregious uh, 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 change of law and say, what's going on here? I have been proclaimed innocent. Now, Three times. Twice by Pilate. Once by Herod. There is no crime here. That you can can hold on me. And Jesus held his peace. And you see what is coming against our Lord. And Jesus is saying these things. When in life you find that you are being attacked. Because of your Christian faith. Remember to hold on. To what Jesus went through. Let me, let me share with you one one incident that occurred recently. If you um, you know, Jesus Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter five, he says this. He said, Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you, and say all manner of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad For your reward in heaven is great. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus also said, If you are ashamed of me and my word in this sinful and perverse generation, I will be ashamed of you when I come in the glory of my father and his angels. You know, when I I invited Hugh Ross to campus, most some of you know that recently I invited him and and uh um I had sent out a message to the department that I work in just uh, with attaching the ad that I had put in the thresher that Hugh Ross was coming and he was going to speak on intelligent design from <clears throat> this r t v model and then so so I sent out this message. The message went out to the department on a Monday morning. Monday, later on in the morning, I was in a, a faculty meeting. <clears throat> it wasn't all the faculty. It was a subset of the faculty. And uh, um, one man s- said, just as the meeting was getting started, I can't even t- say anything. I can't talk because I'm, I'm just so flustered about what Jim has said down." And I'm looking around the room for is there another Jim here because it couldn't possibly be me, me. I haven't sent out anything. You know, it, it didn't occur to me that this would upset anybody. You know, if you don't like it, you just hit delete. I mean, it's so quick and easy. I mean, it's and and uh, um, and he says that this is this is just so wrong for people to be pushing their religion on other people. You know, and they just there pushing be this. You know, this is a this is a scientific talk, and and he was going to show that that. Anyway, pushing the religion, and he got up and he walked out. So he didn't explain why it bothered him, nor did he give me a chance to answer. And then the person running the meeting says, "Okay, well maybe we should discuss this." And so she went around, and everybody's chiming in onto what they think about this. And uh, y- you can imagine a meeting where people have been given open forum to speak their mind about an individual, what they don't like. And so one after another, I was hearing how inappropriate it was to invite this man to campus. And one person even said, this is not freedom of speech. How would you like it if I invited somebody to speak on how the Holocaust never occurred? Or how would you like it if I invited somebody to speak on the glories of child pornography? He said, anti-Holocaust, child pornography, and intelligent design, those are the three axes of evil. You know, and I, I hadn't come to the faculty meeting for this. We were, had something much different on the agenda. And for one hour, this went on. Only one man came to my aid saying, this really is an issue of freedom of speech. He can invite whoever he wants, but what he really did wrong is he sent this to the department. That never should have been done. So then they said, Are you going to go talk to the man who said this to you, who got really upset and walked out? I said, I, I certainly will try to talk to him, but I have to leave. And I was leaving for the airport. I said, I will call him. They said, You're going to have to go talk to him to his face. I said, I don't mind doing that. I don't know if I had time. Somebody said, I'm sure he's gone home. I said, Well, I can't go to his home. I've got to go to the airport. But I did call that person before I left for the airport and said, "I'm sorry, I've offended you. Let's get together. We can get together in the faculty club. You can come to my office. You can come. You, you can uh, um, uh, come to my home or anywhere you want to meet. I'll come to your office. We can talk about this." Um, and so then a, another faculty member had, had sent something to the department saying, "I just got this message from Jim Tour on my email. I consider this spam, and I think." that we should block his name from... that, that I block spammers and we should block his name and I suggest you block his name as I have. So here you have a faculty member suggesting that everyone in the department, all graduate students, faculty, staff, block my name from email, which means cut me off from the department. So, you know, I just felt like I'd been beat up. And I get on the airplane and I go and I had this meeting in Washington and this verse kept coming back to me from Matthew and it says, you know, when, as, because I've been meditating on this portion as I've been studying for this, these, these Sunday school classes, about the trials of Jesus. And it says that when Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him a message saying, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. And this verse kept coming to me, and I thought, you know, these people who have come against me they are probably not even going to be able to sleep tonight. And I don't normally sleep very well in hotels because, you know, I'm tossing and turning. It's just a strange place. And I I always wake up in the morning forgetting even what city I'm in. You know, you travel a lot and you just forget what city you're in. And, uh, And I remember sleeping so well that night. I slept like a baby. And I remember waking up and thinking, Shireen's right next to me. I mean, that's how comfortable I was. I felt that I was in my own bed. And then I... I had my quiet time, and then I turn on my email there in a the hotel, and it's from the guy who had walked out of a meeting originally and started the whole thing. And he sent an email to me, and everyone else was in the committee meeting, and and he said, um, "I wrote, I was writing an email. I was up all night writing an email, justifying myself, but I've deleted the whole thing. I realize I've lost all moral high ground." My apologies to Jim. I walked out before I said what bothered me, and I didn't even give him a chance to say anything. I mean, the poor guy was probably just just pounced upon by the Spirit of God all night. You don't come against the things of God without having ramifications in your life. You know, I've shared with you what happened to to Herod Antipas. I'll share with you next week what happens to Pilate in his life. Even the man who said to me, these are the three axes of evil. I had never heard those axes of evil. I've heard other axes of evil. I'd never heard those three. They didn't know intelligent design was one of the three axes of evil. And he was saying, I am an atheist. Now maybe later on in life, I wish I had what you have, but for now I'm an atheist. Now that's a very telling comment. You'll see in here that the scriptures say that they realize that Pilate says, it, She realized they were offering Jesus up out of envy. In the end, my colleagues really envy my position so much. And you say, how do I know? Because several, when they've broken down, have told me that. One other woman who came against me in that meeting, she sent me an email a few days ago, and she said, I've been, I've been struggling for two weeks since the things that I said in that meeting. I said, oh, no problem. Let's get together and talk about it. But, you know, they really envy what we have. My colleague Rick Smalley, who later, later on in his life became a Christian, this great Nobel Prize winner, he said, Jim, I've always envied what you have in your relationship with your wife and your family and your faith. I've always envied this. So here is this Nobel Prize winner always envying what I have. The treasures that we have in Christ, people will come against. But I assure you, they envy the peace that we have. This relationship with Christ that we have, they envy. And it is a very enviable position to be in. What we have in this relationship, you know, I tell people, my kids aren't perfect. But my kids have never been in drugs. They've been, never been running around with guys. I never remember any one of my kids running out, slamming the door, and you know, get, all the stuff that I went through as a child in an unbelieving family. I never remember this. If you've had the treasure of growing up in a Christian home, this is a very enviable position to have had. The treasures that we have in Christ, other people who don't know the Lord will long for, but they may come against us. In this mob sort of mentality. But in the end, I assure you, they envy the peace that we have. Even this man who's proclaiming the three axes of evil. And telling me that he's an atheist. He stops to say, maybe at some point in my life, I wish I had what you have. That doesn't just come as a thought out of the blue. You see, there's something there. And this is the man that they came against. The things that they were saying. But we're going to see that there were people on the very Sanhedrin that later on come. Joseph of Arimathea and, and uh, uh, Nicodemus. So there are people that were envying the very things that Jesus himself had. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. What a precious word this is. Thank you for what our Lord went through for us. And the model of his stance under attack where repeatedly law after law was being disregarded. Yet he went through with this. Father, for us, Lord, I pray that you would nail this home to us. That blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely on account of me rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you father let us stand loving you honoring you father thank you you give us far more than we deserve I pray for these young people That as things come against them in life because of their Christian witness, that they would be able to stand because of what our Lord went through on their behalf. And they would see that whatever they go through, it is but child's play compared to what our Lord has gone through. In the name of Jesus. Amen.